The Way Out Podcast, episode 278. What is your name? My name is Day Shulkret. Day, how does your new book serve the recovery community? Well, first off, thanks for uh, inviting me on. It's good to be here with you. And uh, I'm happy to be able to bring this book to many communities, including the recovery community. Um, there's, you know, I interviewed about, I'd say over 200 people for this book and quite a few of them were, um, in recovery, quite a few of them survived a near death experience and quite a few of them were celebrating their recovery anniversaries. Um, you know, the times where they basically changed their life. Um, and so, you know, when I'm talking about this book, Hello, Goodbye, there's two chapters that come to mind uh, that would be in real service to the recovery community. One of them is called um, Survival Anniversaries. Um, and the other one is called Surviving a Near-Death Experience. And in those, both of those chapters, there's quite a few stories about people in recovery and, um, and ways that they essentially got their life back. And uh, not just, you know, physically, but also emotionally, spiritually, uh, communally found their way back to their lives. And uh, the very nature of this book, the reason it's called Hello Goodbye is because the book itself sits at a threshold. You know, those moments where you're either leaving or, or arriving, or someone's leaving or arriving, or something is leaving or arriving. And uh, those threshold moments are life-changing moments. So, you know, recovery is really one of those threshold moments where, you know, you're departing an old life or an old identity or old behaviors or something that's essentially, you know, not, not serving anymore. And you're arriving into a completely new life and a new identity, a new community, a new way of being in the world, something very unknown. And at that, at that threshold moment, at those moments where you're leaving something behind and arriving into something completely new and unknown, there's a very real opportunity to look at something, to acknowledge something is changing. And most of us don't do that. And so we just cross these threshold moments and we enter into a totally new life and we have no resources. We don't even sometimes know that our life changed at all. So the more I'm advocating in this book to basically mark those moments. You are leaving something behind, you're arriving into something totally new. Can you mark that moment? Can you it, not only mark it yourself, can you invite your, your people, you know, at least a friend to help acknowledge, to look you in the eyes and say, your life is changing. Your life has changed. You're choosing something else. And as you cross that threshold, the more that you can acknowledge that and mark it, and in my book, I'm, I'm an advocate of ritual, the more you can ritualize that moment, the more you can change. The more your life changes, the more you can change. So. That's a beautiful expression of much of what we do yeah. in recovery. Yeah. Right? In that we reach this turning point often where we no longer can continue to live the way we're living. Yeah. For any myriad of reasons, emotional, uh, consequence-driven, 
Yeah. Spiritual. Yeah. But there's a, or a mix of all of those things. Yeah. And we reach this turning point and we make a new choice. Yeah. And it starts with one choice. Yeah. On one day to do something different. Yeah. And in sobriety, often we mark that day as our sobriety birthday. Exactly. And yeah. it's, it's important to a lot of us in recovery to celebrate that day. Yeah. Not or, because... Or a, re, not, a rebirth day. Right. Really is what it is. And, yeah. and many of us really, really feel that way. Yeah. That it is a rebirth. Yeah. Yeah, I have in the in the chapter on um, on anniver- on uh, recovering anniversaries, uh, survival anniversaries. I have in there a subsection called Rebirth Day, and essentially, it's on the anniversary. This is what it says: on the anniversary of surviving and your recovery, make sure to mark the date on your calendar just like you would a birthday. Except this is your rebirth day. Consider inviting your close friends to mark their calendars too, because this is the date they didn't lose you. As time passes and life gets busy, forgetting happens. And by marking this date, you remember to do a ritual and continue to make offerings to the gift that is your life. Mm. There's an intentionality around that. Uh, yeah. Look, life, as you know, is all about forgetting. We forget all the time it's human right the only things that don't forget are our computers and what it does you got to get a new computer (laughs) but human being human you forget that's just what it means to be human and so we have these mechanisms we've had this for thousands of years humanity in every culture has this mechanism called ritual and ceremony doesn't have to be big doesn't have to be elaborate doesn't have to be fancy but they're mechanisms that help us remember because forgetting is common. It's an everyday thing. It's human to forget. So even if you are in recovery, it's very eventually after time, it's very easy to forget that you got your life back, that it's a gift and you got to keep remembering that. That's why you put it in the calendar, right? Absolutely. So you can remember. And the remembering does a number of things that's really important for me in that I get to get back in touch with what it was like prior to recovery, exactly. which is an important thing for me to get in touch with every now and again. I can't live in it. Yeah. I can't drown in it, but I, but it's important for me yeah. to revisit it because it helps me appreciate the fullness, right? And the richness of my life today what else does ritual help us with why else is remembering important yeah so a few things great question first off the word recovery let's break it down for a second i'm an etymology nerd i love the root of words i love figuring out what words mean you too okay so recovery to recover the etymology, the Latin actually means to return. It means to return. So return to what? Right? So you're returning, as you said, to you said just now to the life you had before. Right? What was it like? What was life like back then? But 
Even the word return has an interesting wordplay in it. So if life is a journey, which it is, right? And we're going on this big journey to who the hell knows where, and life changes, and suddenly you're on a different life path, right? And that turn is sometimes like, you know, someone dies, someone's born, you lose your job, you move your house, you, whatever. There are these big moments where life just changes. And if we don't mark those turns, we're lost because we think we're in the old life. Okay. So like a, a real way of talking this, I don't know if you hike or anything, but I love to hike. Okay. So hiking, have you heard of Karen's? C-A-I-R-N-S, yes. what a Karen is. So you know, Karens are a pile of stones on a trail made by someone who came before you to mark where the trail turns. Because if you don't see it, you keep going, right? So a Karen is a pile of rocks that basically says, turn here. Right. That's what ritual is. Mm. It basically says, don't keep going. Your life's different. Slow down a moment. Look, the path is turning. Turn here. Or return here. That's what recovery is. Return here. Right? Come back to yourself. Come back to your community. Come back to what's meaningful. Come back to what matters. That's what ritual is. It's a Karen on your life path. And, you know, our culture fucking sucks at this because it's all about the normal. Keep going, live your life, don't stop, you know? And big moments like recovery, they ask us to stop. They ask us to look at our lives, to look at our friends, to look at things, to look at how we live, to return. So that's the real nature of ritual. In this book, I wrote 36 life milestones, transitions, from birth to death, losing a pet, coming out of the closet, weaning your kid, whatever. And there are these all of these moments of saying, don't keep going. Stop for a second. The path is turning. Welcome Way Out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and allrecoveryrings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's allrecoveryrings.com. The Way Out podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, we've got an exceedingly illuminating and enlightening interview with author, artist, and teacher Day Shokret, whose new book, Hello, Goodbye, 75 Rituals for Times of Loss, Celebration, and Change, though not written exclusively for the recovery community, is nonetheless extremely relevant to those of us who are in recovery. Rituals are an extremely practical way to attach tangible meaning to significant events and to add meaning to daily life through attaching that activity or event with a specific act, like preparing a meal, burning something, or even doing something as seemingly simple as lighting a candle. The magic in ritual is that it's rooted in the idea that it's action that changes our thinking and emotions, not the other way around, which is so eloquently expressed by one of my most beloved recovery sayings. We can't think our way into right living. We must act our way into right thinking. Day and I talk on why ritual is a valuable exercise and why it's so completely compatible with many recovery programs and practices. Plus, we discuss the difference between routine and ritual and highlight some easy rituals you can implement into your recovery repertoire. So listen up. Day. Shokret, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the Way Out podcast. I can't wait to dig into Hello, Goodbye, 75 Rituals for Times of Loss, Celebration, and Change, and how that can help those of us who are either contemplating recovery or are already in recovery and growing in that recovery. Before we do any of that, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to The Way Out Podcast. You are an author, you are an artist, you are a teacher, and right now you're a guest on The Way Out Podcast. Thanks, brother. I'm happy to be here. It's uh, There's 10 days until this book comes out. By the time your listeners will hear this, it probably will be out in the world. And, uh, you know, speaking of hello, goodbye, it's Things are coming and going all the time. Life's always changing. And this is a new birth for me. So I'm happy to to share it with your audience. And I'm happy really to be helping people because I believe that 
making meaning and ritual is one of the most important things that we can do to help our lives, especially if we're in recovery. And one of the things that our culture has no fucking idea how to teach us to do. There's no question. There is an obsession to be mindless about these really important life events. Right. And when I think about ritual and what it, embodies yeah it's a mindful practice right i'd say i'd even put it more dramatically i'd say it's a sense-making practice in an insane time Mm. Mm -hmm. it helps make sense of something that makes absolutely no fucking sense yeah yeah and you know we talk about recovery you know that journey at times you look at your life and you're like this makes no sense Ritual gives us a little island to stand on, a little ground to stand on, to look at things, sometimes to have your people, your friends hold your hand and say, this is happening. And that helps us make sense. And so, you know, to put it blankly, ritual is a sense-making endeavor. It helps bring understanding. It helps make sense. It helps make, it helps honor change, which we don't know how to do, but change is happening all the time. So we have to learn how to mark change to acknowledge it, you know, rather than fear it. There's a lot of rituals that are contained in recovery practices and recovery programs. Mm -hmm. And those rituals, in my experience, are are a very grounding experience Mm -hmm. in especially in the beginning when we begin to have rituals around discovering and embarking on upon a relationship with a higher power. When we Mm -hmm. start having rituals around how we commune with those of us and our fellows in recovery. Yeah. And what we do in our meetings and how we, you know, all the things that we do either on a daily or regular basis are very ritualistic. Yep. Why do you think, I mean, I'm your guest, but I have a question for you, which is why do you think so? Why do you think there's so much ritual and recovery? For me, I think there's, there, well, there's community in it. Uh, there's, there's a unity around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you feel a part of something. And most of us have felt apart Alone. from and disconnected yeah. for so long yeah. that these rituals that we do collectively really do feel um like for the very first time we are rejoining humanity yeah and rejoining community in a way that we haven't maybe ever and certainly not in a long time yeah yeah so speaking of community there's um you know one of the things i think is what community is especially in these intentional spaces like ritual one of the things that community is there for is to witness us, right? Is to actually witness us change, to witness what we're going through so that we're not doing it alone. And there's an author by the name of Bio Komalafe. He's an African author, very, very wise human being. And he plays with the word witness and he calls it withness, Mm W-I-T-H-ness. And he basically says a witness 
is is someone that could hold your hand or be with you and look towards the thing in your life and help you not turn away from it. And that will stay with you no matter what. I love that, you know, to play on this understanding of what a witness is, is someone that will help, that will stay with you. That is, you know, not going to turn from you when you're in pain or when you're scared or when you're totally wrecked by the way your life looks, but that is there with you no matter what. That's a very powerful thing. That's a very core function of a community. You know, it's people that won't turn away, but that will stay with. Without question, one of the most powerful experiences I've had in my life is when I was at my very lowest, walking into the rooms of 12-step recovery, coming down those stairs at that meeting hall. And for the very first time, really feeling like I was accepted on a level that I had never really felt like I was accepted before. And and I really felt that deeply that these are people that thought like I thought, felt like I felt, did what I did, and they got better. And they weren't going to judge me for the things that I had been through and the things that I had done. And, And as I started working this recovery process and it started to manifest change inside of me, they were noticing that before I was, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. and they were bearing witness to this change that I wasn't seeing because I was in it and I was a mess and I felt yes. like a mess. Mm-hmm. I felt like a, a mess for a while. But mm-hmm. people were saying, hey, you look better. Uh-huh. You know, The color is coming back. Mm-hmm. There's a sparkle in your eye. They're staying with you. Right. They're staying with you. They're not abandoning you. They're staying with you. Through the mess, through the pain, through the hurt. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, the word that's coming to mind right now is the word whole, right? Whole. They're including all of you. The parts that look good and the parts that don't. The parts that are standing up and the parts that are falling down. The parts that are, you know, kind of put together and the parts that are a fucking disaster. They're they're welcoming all of you. And that's really, to me, is like one of the, also the functions of ritual. It's a space for the whole part of you, not for certain parts, all of you. The, Carl Jung had a, a great quote years ago, which is, I'd rather be whole than be good. Yeah. It, Carl Jung was a big influence, actually, on the founders of AA. There you go. Bill Wilson. Uh, especially, um, there's a very, very, there's Jungian. Principles. Talk about ritual. I mean, Carl Jung was a huge ritualist, you know, right. the, the, we're all playing in the same field here. You know, we're all trying to, to implement and get resourced in things that matter, the things that help people, you know, cause we're sold such crap from the culture. From our, this dominant culture, which has really little idea how to support people. So we have to really you know, in some ways, uh, resource ourselves in the things that matter. And so some of these giants like Carl Jung, you know, he's resourcing himself in things like ritual and in things like art and in things like, you know, community and psychology and really helping people. So I'm interested that one of the things that you assert is that 
American culture is in large part devoid of ritual, but ritual is all over other cultures. In what significant ways is Western culture, especially devoid of ritual, where other cultures aren't? So, you know, my book opens up with a story about my mother. My mother has dementia right now. She's living in a memory care facility in New York. And the basic the question of the of the beginning of the book is, well, the, the experience was the first day that my mom forgot my name. That's how the book starts in the introduction. And so, you know, there's really nothing to do. I mean, what is my even my religion? I'm Jewish. I mean, there's really nothing to do. There's no guidance for that moment when your mom forgets your name. Right. It's a big fucking moment, though. Right. And yet life just tried to move on. You know, I got emails and I had a neighbor asking for, you know, a, um, a jump for his car. And, you know, I had an appointment and life just moved on. But internally, I was like, this is this is not OK. Like this moment means something. I don't know what to do. So the first section of the introduction of the book is like, what did I do to mark that moment? The second part of the introduction says, if it's possible for an individual to lose their memory, is it possible for a culture to lose its memory? And I go into my family's story, which is that, you know, we're fourth generation New Yorkers. But before that, my family came from Eastern Europe and had embedded with rituals. They were embedded the whole community was embedded and they left it all behind because they had to they were on the run from people trying to kill them so they came to the they came to america to survive but i basically say in the book i said if my family and your family grew up in the same village for hundreds of years lived amongst the same people ate the the foods of their people sang the songs of their people, wore the clothing of their people. If we, if we had all of that, this fucking book would not be necessary. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they left it all behind means something went really wrong. Mm -hmm. And so this book is the beginning in, I mean, to use the same language of this podcast to recover mm -hmm. some of the old ways of being more human and supporting each other and finding our way back together again, which by the way is, you know, it's the word, that's what the word remember means, right? To remember the word member means whole. Yeah. The fact that there's the RE at the beginning means that it got broken and you're putting it back together again. Mm. That's what remember means. We got disconnected from it. Exactly. And we're reconnecting. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So most of us listening to this podcast are, you know, what maybe we're like five to 10 generations in this country, but most of our ancestors had it way more together than we do. The experience of recovery for me very much was a reconnection experience reconnecting to the experience of a higher power and the God of my understanding and spirituality, which I, I 
know, my mom died when I was 11 years old of cancer. And I swore God off at that moment because I wanted nothing to do with a God that would take mothers away from 11 year old boys. Yeah. And I disembodied myself and disconnected myself from spirituality at a higher power until the moment I surrendered to my alcoholism and addiction and became willing finally once again to reconnect. And during that time, I made the parallel choice. I didn't need other people either, right? Like I can do this thing by myself because the grief was so powerful and so all consuming that I was terrified that if I ever got that close to somebody again, that I wouldn't survive it, that I wouldn't make it through that again. When I surrendered to my addiction and my alcoholism and became once again willing to reconnect to a higher power, to a community, get vulnerable Mm -hmm. with my higher power, Mm -hmm. get vulnerable with these fellow travelers on this same recovery journey. Mm -hmm. That's where the magic happened. And we all started, we were all doing these things together. And it felt powerful. It felt healing. And it felt like I had rejoined the living once again. Mm -hmm. You have. All in ritual. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not making this up, you know, I'm not, uh, it's, I'm, I, listen, when I first started to write this book, I was shocked that this book didn't exist. Sure. You know, I mean, it's really, it's, it's amazing, but I, I know the power of ritual because I've lived it myself. You know, I've had enormous loss in my life and I've had enormous gains, mm. um, you know, and all of that has helped me not to take my life for granted. Mm you know, to see it as a gift that it is. Mm. But the thing is, is as I said at the beginning of this podcast, we keep forgetting. Yeah. So that's normal, you know, to keep, like, a, like a child, you know, a child keeps taking. So we have to keep on remembering to not take it for granted, right? You have to keep on doing that. Here's a, okay, please give me one more opportunity to get into etymology with you please yes okay the word ritual etymologically means to count okay so but think of it like this it's not just like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten think of it like a dancer or a musician yeah so they count like this one two three four one two three four one two right they count i don't know if you play music but i do i play guitar you count so you so you can so you stay in the music. As soon as you stop counting, you fall out. Right. right. So it's the same thing with ritual. Ritual helps us to stay in our lives because it's so easy to fall out. And stay in rhythm. Exactly. The rhythm of our lives. Right. Yeah. Because it's so easy to forget. You know that. I mean, I know that. Without question. Yeah. The reason that it's a ritual for me to get up and it, when I get up and to hit my knees and ask my higher power for help, right? It's because I do it every morning. Exactly. And the difference in the book, I talk about the difference between ritual and routine. Yeah. So tell me, difference. what is the difference between, so it's a routine to brush my teeth, right? Okay. I lied. 
by the way, I'm going to do one more etymology. <laughs> so what's the, what is the root of the, fuck, I gave it away. What's the core of the root? R-O-T yeah. Of root. routine. Yeah. Route. Yeah, or wrote. Yeah. Right. Route. Right. Which means routine helps us get from point A to point B. Right? right. So your nighttime routine is like wash the dishes or brush your teeth or like put the toys away if you're a parent and get into bed. You're trying to get from point A to point B. That's the purpose of a routine. I love my routines. I don't want my routines to go away. They help me live my life. And the routines are helpful, right? Because, you know, my bedtime routine tells my brain that it's time for bed. Right? Exactly. They're necessary. I love my routines. They help me move through my day. However, ritual is totally different. Ritual is about meaning. Ritual is about intention. It's about meaning. It's about understanding. It's not interested in a point A to point B. It's interested in you, in you pivoting towards something and looking at it like it's sacred. There's a guy by the name of Arnold Van Genep, and he's an ethnographer from a hundred, about 100 years ago. And he invented, he coined the phrase, pivot towards the sacred. Right. Routine. I mean, ritual helps us to return to look towards what was an everyday thing, what, what, what we took for granted, what was not a big deal, what we forgot. And it helps. It wakes us up and says, no, 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 no. This don't take this for granted. Look at that. Can you do a ritual daily? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I have a chat, a whole section in the book called uh, Rituals for Every Day. Yeah. I mean, look, you woke up this morning, right? Yep. A lot of people didn't. Right. A lot of people didn't wake up this morning, but you did and I did. So what's the first thing you did when you woke up? Did you grab your phone? Nope. I hit my <laughs> knees and I, and I asked my higher power for help. There we go. So, you know, that's a ritual. You did it every day. You know, the fact that you have food in your fridge. You have water coming through your pipes. You know, these little things that we take for granted, they're actually not because a lot of people don't. There's you a know, lot of people that don't have water. Day, in that pipes. is really interesting because as I traverse my routines and rituals, one of the things that I know that I am capable of and I work really hard and really actively and mindfully to be intentional around the rituals of my day versus the routines because it's easy for my rituals to become routine. Yeah. And, and, and the difference for me between the two of them is whether I'm mindful and intentional or if I'm just going through the motion yeah. absent-mindedly yeah. and checking the box. If yeah. I'm thinking about something else, I'm thinking about you know what's on my calendar and, you know, you know what I'm going to have for dinner that night, then yeah. that's that's not a ritual. Yeah. Right. So I understand that and being in recovery long enough and on the spiritual journey long enough. I have to pause yeah. and be intentional about my prayer. I have to pause and be intentional about my meditation in the morning. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that it is a meaningful ritual rather than just a going through the motions, checking the box routine. Yeah. And think about how you just set that up. You set it up on one hand, autopilot. Yeah. And on the other hand, pause. Right. 
That's the key. Those are two important things you should pay attention to. Your listeners should pay attention to. Number one is autopilot. You know, life, that's how it works sometimes. You know, the mornings I'm, you know, I make the same coffee every morning and I brush my teeth every morning and I take a shower every morning. Life has a certain autopilotness to it, right? But there's a mechanism that you just mentioned, which is very aligned with ritual, which is pause, mm. creating these moments where you say, hold on a second. I'm not proceeding. Something important is happening right now. Something important is happening. And it could be as simple as like, I open my eyes. That's important. That's mm -hmm. happening, you know, but you make it so. That's the difference. You can make it so. You can turn to anything and we can make it, we can do it right now. You know, this, this moment is important. We just have to, you and I just have to make it so. That's right. Otherwise, it's just another podcast and I'm just another guest, <laughs> you know, totally. or, it could be, or it can mean something. Right. Same with you listeners. Like this could be just another fucking podcast that you listen to and you just like you're doing your dishes or whatever, or this can mean something to you. You can be, you could be really hearing me right now. You could pause with what you're doing, put down the dishes, take in this moment. Make this moment a ritual. Return to yourself right now. So it's available all the time. We just have to make that active choice yeah. to stop the inner monologue and the din of the outside world and mark the moment. Yeah, and the key is... You just named it, but I'll break it down even more. Ritual, what makes it different from like mindfulness or meditation or things like that, use, use the word mark. I'll, I'll break it down even more. You have to do something. Ritual can't be thought of. It has to be done with your hands, your feet, your belly, your mouth, whatever. But you got to do something. So for instance, you know, I call it in the book symbolic action. You got to break something, burn something, tear something, plant something, blow away something, submerge something, whatever. But you got to do something, even if it's lighting a candle. I have a candle lit right here because this conversation matters to me. You know, so it's about doing something. So even if you're encouraging people right now to take a pause, the question to ritualize it, something has to happen. You know, and you, we have a lot of examples of that in our, you know, in our lives, in our rich, in our everyday rituals of symbolic action. Um, but you can make, you can do it for anything. And that's the, you know, in my book, I do that. I do that. I call this book a ritual recipe book. Mm. It's a recipe book because I'm creating recipes but I'm also encouraging my reader to like toss it. Hey, if you don't like sweet, put salty. If you don't like hot, put it mild. That's how I'm doing it in the book. You know, if you don't want to bury something and you want to burn something, go for it. This is a recipe book. Do what works for you, but do something. I love that. And I love the intentional action around it because one of the Game changers around recovery for me and my journey was I had to 
act my way into right thinking, uh-huh. not think my way into right acting. Yeah, it wasn't about trying to straighten up my brain so that I could act right. Yeah, no, it was about performing these actions and allowing my brain to follow. Yeah, exactly. So by virtue of making these actions centered around a higher power, prayer and meditation and spiritual readings, right? Yeah. Uh, By virtue of going through these 12 steps, by virtue of continuing to do the next right thing and being of service and helping other people. These are actions. Yes. And those actions had a manifest difference on my thinking. Yes. And how I felt. Exactly. You are. Yeah. You're, you're really nailing it with that comment because too often we just are in the internal. We're trying to like shift the gears internally but our life looks the same. Right. So we keep on trying to do it inside our minds, but the same thing's playing out externally. The key of ritual, the key is that you externalize the action. That's why I call it symbolic action. You break something so that you can see it and that shifts you psychologically. That shifts the internal mechanism. You see it, you see the evidence externally, and it shifts it internally rather than shifting it internally and then seeing the evidence externally. That's the key. That's one of the key magical functions of ritual. I love the candle piece in marking the podcast, this intentional, visible manifestation that this is this thing's important to me. And this is how I'm marking that. And that's, I think, pretty easy, right? And pretty universally applicable in a lot of different rituals. Talk about some other rituals that we can attach to significant life events that you feel like are pretty easy to adopt and can be relatively significant for folks if they're if they're curious and they're wanting to potentially start some ritual practice. Let's talk about a couple that you think might be good for folks to start with. Yeah, I'll just I'll say, I mean, look, the easiest one, in my opinion, is around food. We all eat, right? Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> yes. Everyone eats. Yes. Everyone eats mul- maybe multiple times a day. So food's really accessible, right? You can just eat fast food and you could just eat it without any thinking about it. And you just shove it in your mouth and keep on. You know, that's called food as fuel. Or the food can mean something. And I do both. I mean, we all do both. Some, right. Most of the time, we're eating food as fuel because we got 10,000 other things going on. Occasionally, we eat because it means something to us. I mean, even if your only experience is like a wedding feast or something like that. But sometimes the food can be translated into something more meaningful. So in this chapter on survival anniversaries... I was, I was inspired by a quote from a rabbi from about 20 years ago. He died about 10 years ago, uh, Rabbi Mendel Schneerson. He said this, and this inspired this chapter. He said, when a person is in great danger one day and is saved miraculously, 
he or she is obligated to make what is known as a sudat hoda'a or a party of thanks. Hmm. So basically he's saying, if you survive, you got to feed people. That's what he's saying. If you survive, you got to feed people. So interestingly enough, in the interviews that I did, I interviewed a bunch of people who survived some crazy shit, including alcoholism. But one woman survived her truck running over her. Wow. Okay. She put it in park at the top of a hill. It barreled down, hit her. I mean, it's a crazy story. You can wow. read it. Okay. She survived that. And at the, when she finally got her life back together and saw how many people showed up for her, she threw a huge feast, huge feast. She fed her people because they fed her. That's cool. Okay, so in the, in the book, the ritual I have is a three course meal and the first course, and each course has a different theme. So the first course you invite over your friends and the first course is called appreciating. And I have questions or prompts that people can talk to. So as you're feeding the first course, the, the questions are like, what did you once take for granted? What do you appreciate now? Who do you appreciate now? What are you grateful for? So all of those themes are like the first course, telling big and little appreciations, right? And here's the ritual. You take a pinch of your food, you don't eat it all, and you put it on a, an empty plate. Mm. I call that in the book a spirit plate. Okay, you, you put it on, on that plate. Second course, it's called helping. Who were your major helpers? Who were your minor helpers? Who, do, who showed up for you when you least expected it? What, were, what are ways you still need support? So that whole course is all about helping, right? You tell the stories, the big stories of who helped you and who supported you, and you still take a little pinch of food and you put it on that spirit plate. And then the third and final course is called recommitting. So the questions are, what's become important to you now? How has, life, how has your life's purpose changed? What purpose does your life serve? What are ways you want to give back? right? Same thing. You speak to how your recovery has impacted your purpose, right? And then you put a little bit of food on that plate. Now, here's the thing. You got to do something with that plate at the end of the meal, right? So the plate should be full. So you take the plate outside or wherever, let's say you live in a city. So you put it, you're, you're offering it. And here's the thing as you offer this plate. You place the plate and you, I ask for these considerations. Number one, say to yourself, I acknowledge that there were unknown forces that helped me survive. That's number one. Take a breath. Number two, I recognize that a miracle occurred that aided in my survival and or recovery. Take a breath. And the last one, I honor and think and give back to the great mystery that is my life. And you take a breath and you put down the food and you offer it up and you're done. And to me, that's taking a meal that could just be you and your friends shooting the shit and it's actually making it matter. Centering gratitude, centering spirituality. Recommitment, right. appreciation, 
acknowledging that you could not have done this alone. You know, shit like that. How many people did you interview for this book? Hundreds. Are there one or two stories outside of the absolutely crazy one that you just referenced about a woman who got ran over by her own truck? Like, what? Are there any ones that really stick out and stick with you? Yeah. I mean, one of the ones in the surviving an accident chapter or a near-death experience is I interviewed a woman who her husband one morning went for a bike ride in the hills. And he every he did this every day. And that morning he hit a fucking rock, flipped over, broke his neck. Ooh. And she went from being married to her husband to being married to a paraplegic in wow. one day. And everything changed. Financially, everything changed. Sexually, everything changed. Their dreams of of having a baby changed everything, even the, even her being alone. Cause there were so many nurses that were coming in and out, everything changed in one day. Right. And so she had a lot of anger yeah. at the bike, at the trail, at him, at God, at everything. Yeah. Right. She had a lot of anger and I she bet. realized that like underneath the anger was a lot of grief. Hmm. Right. So she told me, you know, she had a relationship with ritual and she basically said it's the only thing that helped her. And every year she went to the rock that changed her life. And she, she did this, these three part rituals where she like, one part of it was expressing her anger, throwing, like throwing rocks at it, like pounding it, letting her anger out at that rock. And then she she did this whole water ritual where she poured water on it and like forgave herself, forgave her partner, forgave God, you know, and she she moved the emotion because we don't have spaces like that in our culture where we can express feelings. We just suppress it. You need places. You know, it's a reasonable thing to act to be angry when your husband comes a paraplegic is very reasonable. Hundred percent. If you keep that shit in, you're you explode. You know, it's very reasonable to grieve your life when your life changes so dramatically like that. It's very reasonable. But if you keep in that grief, you're fucking done. You're depressed. You just sink. You need to express it out. The ritual gave her a container. First off, to invite her friends to, so she didn't have to do it alone. Second of all, gave her a container that had a beginning, a middle, and an end, so that it wasn't just leaking into her life. She should go there, it had a beginning, the middle was the expression and the symbolic action, and then it ended. So her psyche knew, like, okay, you're going back to your normal life. You can't, you can't express this kind of rage in the fucking grocery store. You know what I she mean? She was able to channel it. She was able to express it. I mean, really, that's what emotion is. It's it's feelings in motion. Right. That's what it literally means. Right. So if you don't, you know, I have a friend who has a, who has a, a podcast and a book called uh, The Healing Feeling Shit Show. And she, <laughs> she, she uh, uh, relates emotion to pooping. And she's like, if you hold it in, it's like hold, trying to hold in a poop. And it's the same thing. It needs to come out of you. Emotion 100%. needs to move through you, you know, and ritual gives a container for that. 
It does. And I can so relate with the primary feeling of anger as a substitute for the grief, right? And it manifesting as just overwhelming anger. But right underneath that is a well of grief that you know, I was afraid of for years, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of put the cap on it and, and then it was just anger coming out in all sorts of goofy ways. But being able to express that in a healthy way yeah. uh, uh, was great. And in recovery with my mom, I get to go to the uh, cemetery on her birthday and on Mother's Day. And I, and I get to... Um, you know, that's a manifest of uh, the grief process. And, you know, I don't, my mom died when I was 11 and it's still a process. It's still a journey. It's still, I'm still changing with it and living with it. Like it's not something you get over. It's just something that you continue to, you know, live with. Yeah. Grief is a skill. It's not an affliction. Right. It's something you can get good at. It's not something you're trying to get through or over. It's something to get good at. You can grieve skillfully. And you can grieve unskillfully, you know, and the difference is really being willing to do it. We've got some closing questions. Okay. Are you ready, Day? Maybe. For our closing questions. <laughs> yeah. Modified just for you. All right. I like it. Hand tailored. Indeed. What does your regular or daily ritual look like? I'll give you one. This is a, uh, you know, this is just completely between you, me, and everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I light some candles every day. I have an altar. I light candles on my altar. And they have one purpose. And the purpose is this. And I really don't, it's the, the I'm going to preface it by saying this is the furthest thing from morbid. Okay. This is life affirming. Um, but anyway, I light the candles and I ask the question, what if this was the last time? Mm. Every day I do that. What if this was the last podcast I was ever on? What if this was the last email I ever wrote? What if this was the last lunch I ever made? What if this was the last shower I ever took? How would it change? I do that every day. And I'll tell you, as I said, it's totally not morbid. It's like it makes everything sparkle. Because if it was the last, I'm going to give it my all. I love that. What book or piece of literature had the biggest impact on you? I'd say uh, the first thing that comes to mind is I have a teacher by the name of Stephen Jenkinson. I've been studying with Steve for years. He wrote a book called Die Wise. And I'd say Steve is one of the most important thinkers, especially when it comes to death and dying. But Steve is, you know what? You know, these people like once every 500 years, like a legend is born and you're like, holy fuck, how is someone that smart and that gifted and like a storyteller where the stories actually come alive and you're like, uh, <laughs> that's that guy. Cool. 
And yeah, and he's written a quite a few books and one of them is called Die Wise and it's a, it's a manifesto and, um, and he's the real deal. I love that because there's a lot of fear around death and dying, especially in Western Oh yeah, check out this book. Or, you know, listen to a million and one interviews he's done. He's, he's, he's changed my life. I love that. What is the best piece of advice you've received thus far in your journey? Um, I'd say it's probably the last words my dad told me, which are keep the faith. Hmm. I'd say that's uh, that's tattoo worthy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's great. That is too, great. Too many opportunities to lose it. You know what I mean? These days. No doubt about it. And it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes around faith, which is the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. Mm, beautiful. Love it. Exactly. Yeah. Be wary of certainty. That's for sure. Yeah. Be wary of it. Yeah. I, you know, I do, I, I do, we haven't spoken about it, but I do, um, I'm an artist and, uh, and I create essentially altars and I teach thousands of people how to do it out of nature. And, um, and I'd say like the, the, the most important skill that I teach people when, I, when we do the art and create these altars is wonder. Mm. That's the most important skill. Yeah. How to look at the natural world, how to look at your own life, how to look at everything and resist certainty. Can you just ask a question, learn how to ask good questions that, out, that survive any attempt to answer them? That's wonder, baby. Yeah, the willingness to be curious. Yeah. Love the willingness and the, and the commitment to be curious. What is the greatest challenge you've had thus far in your journey? Dementia. Hmm. It's a bitch. Living, you know, having a parent who forgets who you are. That's that's. No. You're really losing that person before you lose them. Yeah, it's called ambiguous loss. This mm-hmm. is a coin. This is a term coined by Pauline Boss, uh, who I wrote about quite a bit in the book. It's basically like she's here and not here. Yeah, and that kind of loss is fucking gnarly. For so that's real, the, that's the big. I'd say one of the biggest. I mean, there's many challenges, but you know, we live in a in this world, so there's many challenges, but. Dementias, I wouldn't miss. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. What is your greatest success thus far in your journey? Staying alive. <laughs> <laughs> There's a song about that. Listen, I'd say my biggest success is I have basically been given a gift. What, whatever you want to call it, my art, my my writing my teachings, whatever it is, you know, I've been given a gift and it's risky. Living with this gift is risky. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an engineer. I don't work in tech, right? I have been basically making something from nothing because I want to help people. Mm. 
And somehow or other, I've tended this gift well that has actually become something in the world. And so my success is that I'm not keeping this gift to myself. I'm passing it on. And this book, this new book is one way I'm doing that. This podcast is another way I'm doing that. I'm trying to pass on all the things I've been taught. Day, I love that for so many reasons, not the least of which is core to my recovery is the principle centrally that in order to keep what I've got, I got to give it away. Exactly. And there's a, there's a, there's a a classic class. If you've read the book, the gift by Lewis Hyde, it's pretty scholarly, but it's all about what a gift is. And essentially a gift is something that must move, meaning it stops being a gift when you keep it. And it only stays a gift when you give it away. That's beautiful. Yeah. The next one's a doozy, and then we end okay. with a fun one. Okay. <laughs> what is something you haven't forgiven yourself or somebody else for? Uh, you want me to go into regret? Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Regrets, a, you know, regret has a bad rap because uh, people are trying not to regret anything. But actually, regret's a great place to stand on your life because you get to see things from a distance. Right. Um, so I don't have any issues with things that I've regretted um, or have not forgiven. But I'd say, you know, really there are, there's something about family when they die, that part of the journey is to come to terms with imperfection and that you can't, for instance, my dad, you know, there were enormous imperfections in there in his, in the way he raised me. And there was enormous perfections in there, in there too, but he's dead. So how do I, you know, I can't like have a conversation with him and clear it up or find his perspective or anything like that. So the forgiveness that's there, and really, if you look at the word forgive, it means to give, right? You have to give, you have to keep on being generous with forgiveness. So the thing I have to keep on doing with my father is just saying like, you did enough. And anytime my mind goes in the direction of like, not enough, you fucked it up. You didn't teach me this, whatever. I have to keep on returning to the forgiveness. The reality is, is that we can't always leave things perfectly resolved in a neat little bow. Exactly. Right? That there's going to be things that are unresolved and imperfect. Life's messy. Right? Life's messy. Yeah. Life is messy, but... <laughs> I feel like your your listeners are going to think that I'm a, an etymology like professor. But, <laughs> but listen, what's the word mess mean? Because you know you've heard of the word mess hall, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The word mess means food. <laughs> so if you want it to be, the mess could be nourishing too. Yeah, sure. Don't try and clean it all up because that's fucking sterile. And that's like a hospital. You don't want to live a a sterile life. Life's messy. The question is, can you make it nourishing? And can you make, yeah, exactly. Can you make it beautiful? Exactly. 
that's why I'm an artist, man, is I take, I take the mess of nature and I bring it into some beauty and order together. And, you know, if you want to see my art, I have an Instagram handle called morning altars morning, like this morning altars, A L T A R S. And there's a lot of pretty, you know, if I could toot my own horn, there's a lot of beauty there. And, uh, essentially I, I started that practice when my dad died and I went through a, a pretty severe divorce and my life was a mess. And I found that taking the mess of nature and bringing it into some symmetrical order, let me see order. Mm-hmm. Let me see some semblance of order. And mm-hmm. so this whole book is basically standing on the shoulders of that practice that I invented about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. It's tremendous. Thank you. Here's the fun one. Okay. What song symbolizes ritual for you? <laughs> what song symbolizes ritual for me? Well, I mean, I could take the easy way out and just say music is ritual to me. For real. Um, but I'll say the song that symbolizes ritual is, oh man, off the top of my head. Take your time, brother. Yeah. Um, don't stop believing is coming to mind. Yes. That one. Um, I don't know. Let me think about it. Okay. All right. All right. So while you're thinking about that, I will let everybody know that all of the things that we talked about at Morning Alters, the Instagram that they just referenced with all that beautiful art, the book recommendations, Day's brand new book, how to contact and get a hold of Day, all of that will be in the show notes. So check that right now. And you'll be able to have access to all of that amazing information, including the song that invokes ritual for day in the I got show it. Notes. I got oh, it. Yes. All right. All right. Drum roll. I'm a huge fan of Suf John Stevens, and he has a song called The Greatest Gift. And I'd say uh, that album is, I mean, you know, Carrie and Lowell, that album is just, I think he wrote it when his parents were dying and that man is a beauty maker and a magician. And if you don't know Suf John Stevens, get to know this musician. That's my answer. And I'm sticking with it. Absolutely love that because that is super like in the vein of where I'm at. We've got a great radio station. If you, as you indicated, take, uh, trips here to Minneapolis, St. Paul in the summer. We have a beautiful, yeah, we have a beautiful radio station called 89.3 The Current, which plays just a tremendous eclectic mix of music. Sounds like this would be right in that vein. For sure. Awesome. Dave, thank you so much for taking time again, joining us here, talking about your brand new book, which is Hello, goodbye, 75 rituals for times of loss, celebration, and change. It's been a blast, brother. It has been a blast. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast Land. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories 
and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.